following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Thanks, Clara, and thanks to all who have been uh, participating in our service so far uh, today. We are in the season of Easter Tide, which is the season that follows Easter Sunday. And uh, I believe this is what, the fifth week of Easter? Um, yeah, there it is, the fifth Sunday in Easter Tide. And uh, I wanted to start today by asking you uh, if you've ever found yourself bargaining with God. Have you ever like promised God that if God gives you this thing, then you'll do you'll do this other thing? Like God, if you just make my boss forget about the TPS reports, I promise I'll never skip church again. Or uh, Lord, if if I just make this green light, I promise I'll stop swearing forever. <laughs> um, uh, I can think of some uh, bargains that I made with God when I was younger, but I'll probably just keep them to myself. Um, it's, it's an easy thing to joke about, but, um, when a real crisis hits, the, um, the, the desperation of it can lead us to a type of prayer that might not have come out otherwise. And nowadays, of course, we have more cause than ever to maybe strike a bargain with God if you're really feeling the, the life disruption of the situation, if you've lost your job or um, hours at your job, or if worse, if you've, if you've lost someone you love, you might now be at the place of telling God, I promise to never ask for anything again if you help me now. I have a friend named Mike, a pastor in the Bronx, um, and you may have seen him this week. There was an article about him in the Washington Post. His church, which is only a little bit bigger than ours, has um, been affected by 13 coronavirus deaths. And it's either church members or um, family of church members. And I, I talked to Mike this week. I promise you that bargaining with God is not a joke for him right now. Um, and it's not a joke for so many other communities of color because we know um, that even though viruses do not distinguish between people who are white and people who are black or brown, that our society does. And as a consequence, this disease is ravaging uh, communities of color at a disproportionate rate. And Promised Land Covenant Church is a, a predominantly black and Latino congregation. And as if a global pandemic weren't enough to cause us to grieve, this week we all became aware of the death of Ahmad Arbery from back in February, uh, which gave us yet another reminder that to be black in America is to be always suspected, always unsafe, always on guard uh, against racism and violence. And I know that a lot of us spent much of the past week processing this and trying to sort out our anger and our grief and our fatigue. And that's even more true if you're a person of color for whom this is not theoretical, but dangerously real every day. Wanda Cooper-Jones is spending her first Mother's Day without her son. And that should not be. 
And so with all of this going on, I think it's important to acknowledge the, the state of mind that we find ourselves in. When we're in that kind of situation, I think it's important to sit with it and to be honest with ourselves and with God. Even if that means offering up the type of bargaining prayer that normally we would ridicule. I think it's important not to try to push away the pain. Not to try to pretend that that's not what we're feeling. So, let's turn to our passage today from John's Gospel that Clara just read for us. And wow, there is a lot going on in this short passage of Scripture, isn't there? I mean, if, if you were to make a list of the things that you'd want to understand better from just these 14 verses, it might include the following things. Jesus saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus saying, um, the one who believes in me will do greater works than I do. And if in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. We might have some questions for Jesus about some of these, uh, some of these statements that he makes. There's probably a handful of others that you, you could come up with if you were making your own list. But there's one line in this story that, that especially stands out to me this week. And it's not any of the ones that I, uh, I just listed. The one that stands out to me this week comes from verse 8. It's spoken by Philip, one of the twelve apostles. It's when he says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. This is one of those kind of bargainy types of statements, isn't it? I think the reason that this line stands out for me right now is that it it captures some of the longing that I, I, I think that a lot of us have during this time in which we find ourselves. It, it captures the essence of wanting to strike a bargain with God. Philip is saying to Jesus, just give us this one thing and we'll be satisfied. We won't need to ask for anything else. And so for today, I'm mostly interested in the second half of what Philip says there, the part about um, we will be satisfied. But I would be quite remiss if I didn't mention Jesus's response, um, because it is absolutely one of the central ideas of the Christian faith. Because what Jesus says to him um, is in response to the first half of what he says, show us the Father. And Jesus tells his disciples, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Now, the only reason that I won't spend the entire sermon dwelling on this fact is that I have spent most of my career as a preacher dwelling on this fact. Um, If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Because God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. God's people haven't always known this. We haven't always understood it, but now we do. And so any characterization of God where God does not look like Jesus is untrue, or at best it's incomplete, no matter where it comes from. And any characterization of God where God does look like Jesus is true, even if it's incomplete. Again, no matter where it comes from. Jesus is our true north. He's our atomic clock. Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God. Now, I've reminded you of that a lot of times over the years. 
And if you have to keep being reminded of that, well, you're in good company. I mean, Philip had traveled around with Jesus for years. He'd seen all the miracles in person, and he still didn't get it. He still told Jesus, show us the Father. That's not that part that I want to focus on today. You can go back and listen to any number of sermons where I focused on that idea. What I'm drawn to today is Philip's promise to Jesus, where he says, basically, Lord, if you give us this one answer to this one question, we will be satisfied. You know the reason that I'm so drawn to that part of it? It's because it's so obviously wrong. It's just as wrong as every promise ever made to God by people who are desperate for answers. You see, the thing about the promise that I'll never ask you for another thing is that it never works out. It doesn't matter who you make that promise to, whether it's God or a parent or a partner. It never happens. It never comes out the way you think it's going to, the way you promise that it's going to, because that kind of bargain always comes from a place of desperation, and desperation is not a good foundation for making new promises. And if you think about it, we know that Philip's um, prediction about what would bring him and his friends spiritual satisfaction, we know that it was wrong right from the beginning. We know that because as Jesus tells him, they already have the exact thing that he's asking Jesus for. It's not that God has been absent from them and that left Philip and the disciples feeling unsatisfied. In fact, it seems more like Philip and probably the disciples had an inherent dissatisfaction that prevented them from seeing God when God had been walking around with them in the flesh for the past three years. And that makes me wonder, and I hope that it makes you wonder as well, what are the gifts that we have already received that we still find ourselves asking God to give us? What is the cause of our unrest, our disquiet? What is it that leaves us unsatisfied in the presence of God? In fact, I begin to wonder if maybe Philip is looking for the wrong thing in the first place. I'm not sure that seeing God through Jesus is supposed to leave us feeling satisfied exactly. At least not in the sense that I think Philip was probably using that word and not in the sense that we might use it if we said something similar. I don't think that we're supposed to be left feeling satisfied if that means that we're always going to be at peace, that we are never going to have any questions, that we're going to understand the world completely. More and more, I think that um, seeing the Father, as Philip put it, I think it's likely to make us less satisfied. I think it's likely to make us less confident in ourselves and less confident in our own understanding. Because when Jesus reveals God to us, in the perfect way that he does, he does so by willingly surrendering and emptying himself, showing us a God who is drained of all power and privilege, who undergoes humiliation and even death 
out of love for all people. And as Jesus reveals this to be the particular character of God, he calls to us, he beckons us, follow me. And of course, his disciples have done that. We didn't get a chance uh, today to look at the lectionary reading from the book of Acts, but it's the story of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Stephen was stoned to death for his belief in Jesus. And in his last dying breath, he echoed the words of Jesus. He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Just as Jesus had said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So I'm sorry, Philip, but when you finally get it, when you finally see the Father, you're not going to be satisfied. And I'm sorry to all of you if, if that kind of satisfaction is what you're looking for in your religious experience. That's just not how it's likely to go. And I know that that seems like bad news, but I believe the gospel is good news in spite of that. Because when we take up our cross and follow Jesus, and, and that's the language he used for it, and boy, that must have sounded very shocking to the people who heard him say it before he was ever crucified, let alone resurrected. I mean, when we read back and see Jesus saying, take up my cross, take up your cross and follow me, we have all the hindsight from the whole story. The people who heard him say it originally were just people who were walking around in the Roman Empire and seeing crosses. And when Jesus said, take up my cross and follow me, and they hadn't seen that story yet, oh my goodness, that must have felt very strange to them. But when we take up our cross and follow Jesus, the great weight that we carry will be the weight of love for all humankind, the, the love that softens our hearts and puts the needs of others first and even forgives our enemies, which is perhaps the greatest miracle of all. The love that sets aside its own needs, not abstractly or out of some uh, self-hatred, but because setting our own needs aside is what's required to elevate the needs of people who are hurting, people who are marginalized, people who are hated by society. And we carry the sacrificial, forgiving love of a God who was willing to die at the hands of the very people made in God's image. And that kind of love, if we will embrace it, doesn't just change us, it changes the whole world. So maybe it's okay if we are left unsatisfied, if we are left confused. Maybe it's okay if we're left doubting and unsure. Maybe it's okay if we're left with unanswered questions. Because we can carry all of that with us if we're also carrying the love of God. Are you willing to be unsatisfied if it means you get to bear God's love? Let's pray together.
Lord, we hear the words of Philip. Show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And we're tempted to make that same kind of bargain. To ask you for one proof. To ask you to show us the answer to one question. And to give in to the the temptation to think that that one answer would be the only one we'd ever need. Help us, we pray, to come to know, as Philip came to know, that having the answer to every question is not the kind of satisfaction you offer us. Instead, that following the way of Jesus, of self-sacrificial love, and bearing that weight, carrying it out into the entire world, that that is what you call us to, that that is the type of spiritual satisfaction that you actually offer us. And as we bravely step out into that new understanding, even carrying the confusion and doubt of the old understanding along with us, may you give us the grace to see your love taking root in the world around us, to see the change that can happen when we do. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.